Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. So I'll make uh, an announcement first. Um, this evening at uh, 7.30, uh, Devon and I will uh, offer the space for another group each. And tomorrow also during the two morning walking sh- sessions like we've done up to now, there will be two uh, uh, groups offered. Devin and I would like each one of you to sign up for a group. Uh, it's not a test. It's an opportunity to understand maybe a little better what uh, is uh, the practice that we're doing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so please check this out. Uh, also, I think when we come out of the hall, if everything goes according to plan, uh, there'll be the sheets for tomorrow morning, the sign-up sheets for uh, tomorrow's group, so for a group tonight or the groups tomorrow morning. So sign up for one of these. Uh, There might be a couple of spaces uh, more than the number of people here. So if at 7.30 tonight you see that there's a, a space you know, just before the group, and you want to squeeze in, just write your name and come up. I don't know if I'm creating the conditions for intense emotions and <laughs> greed and uh, something like this, but maybe I'll, we'll learn from that, <laughs> never to do this again. Um, yeah, so can that work? Can we try this? Um, yeah, I'll just say that. So there's something I've heard. Uh, uh, a few weeks ago, as I was listening to a Dharma talk on Dharma Seed, that I think uh, something that I'm not the only one using, <laughs> I think, sometimes. And uh, so uh, Andrea Fella was uh, s- said uh, she quoted uh, her teacher, uh, Sayada Utejaniya, and. Um, and it may, I, I really loved the, that uh, what she said, and um, I thought it was such a so true in my experience, and so, such a good way to talk about practice. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I want to share this with you. And, and also, like, unpack that, because you, mi- uh, you might not be as excited as me when you hear it. 
<laughs> let's see, let's see. N- notice how it lands in you, like if it's like, wow, awesome, or yeah, <laughs> and. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, so then I have the chance to maybe un- unpack this a little bit and like, why is this so meaningful for you, Pascal, and what does it actually mean, or. Or maybe you'll recognize something of value in there. But uh, she said it's pretty simple. Uh, well, I, I, I'll put it as a question, uh, maybe to you. Would you agree that? Um, oh, and I, I, would you agree that I don't know how to present it, but I'll find my way. I'll find my way. But you're so uh, you're so uh, so kind <laughs> that you'll allow me to find my way into this into the whole talk, because that's the only thing I have in mind was this first. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, oh yeah, that's good, you know. So um, yeah, I'll say what she said and I'll ask the question after. And she said, uh, <laughs> it's a kind of a suspense building. <laughs> Is he actually going to get there? <laughs> mindfulness, or sati, mindfulness, does not reveal the object. It reveals the nature of the object. And so the question is, would you agree with this, that, uh, that there is mindfulness or, or not? Won't uh, prevent us from feeling the rain or the cold or experiencing the thoughts or the emotion. Would you agree with this? That's interesting to consider, no? That mindful or not, mindless or mindful, uh, will still, uh, you know, uh, eat the meal you know, have the thoughts, have the emotions. It, it doesn't reveal the object. The object is experienced anyway. But it does something very particular, though, that nothing else can do. It reveals the nature of the phenomena. It reveals the nature of the object, of the event. And this might look like nothing, but to me, this is profound. To me, this is, I feel the excitement about this. This is wisdom. This is freedom. This is the answer. Lies in there, in that. And so I might have opinions and experience them mindfully or unmindfully, you know. But if there is that little added uh, thing called mindfulness, curiosity, uh, towards phenomena, dhamma vichaya, curiosity for phenomena, then uh, what will be revealed is not so much the opinion itself, but the nature of an opinion or the nature of a thought that we practice with Devon this morning, the nature of an emotion, mind state, the nature of a sensation, the nature of a whatever. It is. And there's a lot of um, misunderstanding 
delusion, uh, erroneous view uh, in relation to the nature of the event, phenomena, experience. And so when we come here and we uh, pay attention to an object, what, what, what is that code word of nature? What is the nature of an object? I'm improvising here, and uh, somehow I'm make I'm making the link just now in my mind with um, one of my favorite uh, Dhamma stories. It's the story of uh, Rohitasa. Rohitasa is a being at the time of the Buddha. Uh, very interesting being. Um, I come from the world of theater. And um, when I read the story of Rohitasa, I was like, oh my God, it's really like Puck in the Tempest. In Summer's in the, in, in Summer Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's another one in the Tempest area. area. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. So you come from the world of theater. <laughs> I don't anymore. <laughs> it's a, I'm a complete failure. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, I was, I, I was like, wow, that's the same kind of brightness, energy, creativity, uh, guts. Uh, uh, so the story of Rohitasa uh, from the text is that uh, Rohitasa uh, hears uh, that, um, I, I, for me it's very clear, it's like, 20 years ago, it was very clear to me that Rohitasa was non-binary. Like, I read the stars, like, pictured, heard, seen, little pixie hair, you know, like, very uh, embodied. And Anyway, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I recognized uh, Rohitasa. And so they hear that, um, that there's a very wise person that is in the area, the Buddha, and so somebody tells Rohitasa, you can go and uh, meet the Buddha and ask a question. So isn't that exciting? Imagine that this is what's happening to us. You know, we, you know, we, we go, we escape the retreat, we go in town in Barry, you know, and somebody says, hey, actually it's not over there, it's over there. <laughs> you can go and ask a question. I get nervous, you know, my heart starts beating. Ah, what? A question, which one would I choose? Which, which question? So Rohitasa comes to the Buddha and bows, does what people do in the text. I keep forgetting if they turn around on the right side, left side, if they, which side they sit, what they do. But I think Rohitasa just did what they thought was the thing to do, the respectful thing to do uh, in this uh, situation. To somebody known as a really, really wise being and then Rohitasa asks uh, their question. And I'm sh- well, let's see. Would it be the question you would ask also, the same question? Rohitasa asks uh, the Buddha, is it possible by walking to reach the end of the world? 
Not your question. (laughs) I would not have come up with that one. So happy that there's all this diversity in the world, you know, because that question I would not have asked. But the answer that came is so profound, so thankful to Rohitasa for asking. And so is it possible by walking to reach the end of the world? And the Buddha says, no, Rohitasa, it's not possible to reach the end of the world by walking. And Rohitasa is like, ah, amazing, amazing. You know, you know, wow, I, I, I don't know. I tried. I walked and walked and walked. I'm fit. I'm in good shape. I walked and walked and walked. And I swear I didn't stop. Yes, I did. I did. I did. Very honest report on practice. I, I did. I stopped to defecate, to urinate, to eat a little, to sleep a little. But I kept going, kept going. And I never did reach the end of the world. And you know, and I ask you, and then you're like, no, Rohitasa, it's not possible by walking to reach the end of the world. And the Buddha says, yeah. It's not possible. But I'll say something else, Rohitasa. It's not possible to reach the end of suffering without reaching the end of the world. And the world, that's still very mysterious to me at this point. So I'll add something, Rohitasa. It's not possible to reach the end of suffering without reaching the end of the world. And Rohitasa, the world, the beginning of the world, the end of the world, the path to the end of the world is here in this fathom long body with its mind and perception. What I hear in there is you don't have to run. Just sit here and watch. You'll see the whole Shabang, if we can call it like this. And in the teachings, the world, the world, it's almost like a, I don't know if it's also kind of a code word, or the world, or how the Buddha seems to define the world, is very, also surprising. The world is the six senses. This is the world. The five that we know, and the heart-mind with its ideas, perceptions, constructions. That's the whole of the world, these six senses. That's here, here, that is, the world is constructed, you know. The family might not be there, but they're constructed here. Gaza, Ukraine, you know, you retreat from the world and you sit. And the beginning of the world, the end of the world, the path to the end of the world, it's all here, all here. And so this invitation to actually sit and come close to events, experiences, phenomena. I use all of them synonymously here. And to discover the nature of phenomena.
And so some things, uh, some things are blue, some things are red, some things are tasty, some things are heard, other scenes, things are seen, some things seem to be mine, others not mine, some things are subtle, others are kind of gross, or obvious maybe. Some things are pleasant, other things are unpleasant. But in their nature, all these things that I just named, those of the past, the phenomena, things, events, situations of the past, of the present, of the future, they, some, yeah, they were in the past, some might be in the future, some are now, but they all have in common something in, in their nature. Their nature is the same. And so when we pay attention, when we bring high-quality attention, and an attention that uh, really connects and stays, stays in connection, then uh, the nature, and there's a suspense there too, what, what, what is the nature, is revealed. I love the instructions or definition of uh, sati from Kamala Masters. kind of so to the point, it's an instruction, it's a definition, it's elegant, it's uh, essential. I carry it with me. I want to say all the time, but it's a little bit more flickering than that. When she says, just enough energy, just enough energy to connect with an object, phenomena, event, situation, just enough energy to connect with the phenomena and to uh, remain in connection or sustain that connection to know the object clearly or simply or directly just enough energy to connect with an object to experience it fully directly and she says she adds I like that just to clarify things just in case we didn't get it She adds, not like we do with things we fear or want. Then that's not just just enough energy to connect and stay in contact with. Then that's grasping, pushing away, getting all worked up very naturally. Do you recognize this? How we're in relationship with things we like or don't like. It's a little bit more, a little bit less economical. So just enough energy to connect and uh, sustain that connection on something, to experience it clearly, directly. Not like we do with things we fear or want, where we grasp. To know the impermanent nature of the object. To know its conditional nature. To know its impersonal nature to know its unsatisfactory nature. And so when we come to retreat like here and we slow down and pay attention, kind of dive under the superficial attention, you know, like... (laughs) 
etc. When we connect with events, Um, and we uh, we stay with them. Then we have the chance to see them arise and pass, arise and pass. This is anicca, anicca. This is experiential. This is very powerful. Uh, it's not just. It could be just one time, one time where the mind is so, so present, so stable, so intimate, so curious, so careful in its relationship to something, a thought, an emotion, a mood, an event uh, of the auditory universe, something like this. Uh, felt sense, touch, something like this. If we stay in connection and we see it appear and disappear, uh, yeah. Somebody at the time of the Buddha, one uh, woman practitioner, she described this in a beautiful poem. I'm going to paraphrase it here, but it's like all day I practiced, all day I sat, I walked, I sat, I walked. No wisdom gained. <laughs> Blowing the candle, the flame of the candle at night, everything understood. Things pass, arise and pass. Where are all these last decades? A flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a star at dawn, a phantom. These are the words of the Buddha. And we pay attention to see the arising and passing nature of a mood, of a taste, of an impression, of a perception, of anything. That's the instruction of the Buddha with anything felt in the body, at any of the senses, in the heart. Notice the presence. Notice the absence. Notice the arising. Notice the passing of anything. It takes a mind that slows down. Pay attention. Otherwise, we have the tendency to uh, perceive or project on things permanence, solidity. Me, that's me. I've been here the whole time, it's me. And then we pay attention. And what we call me, all the different aspects of me, keep changing. The experience of the body now, the experience of the body 37 minutes later, it's a different experience. The experience of the mind also might be different. I was quiet, now I'm self-righteous. Or there is self-righteousness. And here, because we're not so busy, because there's this culture, because we become maybe pillars for each other, reminders of mindfulness, we do this for ourselves, but we do this for each other, this slowing down, this paying attention, so that we can remind each other like this. 
then we have the chance to notice. That's why there's silence in the meal, because we can notice the arising and the passing of sound impressions of the forks and knives and the passing of weather the passing of yeah ideas perceptions and so mindfulness doesn't reveal the object it reveals its nature so there's a few aspects in this nature anicca things are impermanent And it's good to prepare, because there will be change. I mean, it's been happening all along, but there will be, you know, a diagnosis, if not for us, for somebody we love. There will be death. It's for sure. There will be, you know, some movement on the spectrum of mobility, in sight, in hearing, in memory. Any aspect of our experience will transform at some point. And we might be deluded, thinking this is mine, this is solid, this is permanent. And here we have the chance to pay attention to this. We might be lucky. We might clear that in one insight, like uh, this uh, great practitioner blowing the candle, the the flame of the candle. But more often, for most of us, maybe, for many of us, it will take uh, repeated high-quality encounter with impermanence in an experiential way, not in an intellectual way, in an experienced, lived way. And the way it works is if you imagine um, a little boat, a little, uh, yeah, a little boat, tied to uh, a duck, uh, with a uh, rope. And the uh, rope is uh, slowly, uh, there's a little friction against the duck like this. The whole spring, the whole summer, nothing to say about it. The whole fall, and at some point, the boat is not attached to the duck anymore. This is the mindfulness, being aware of the impermanent nature of phenomena. So it's very gentle. It looks like nothing. It could easily lead to doubt. Nothing's happening, you know. But something is happening, maybe on notice, and at some point, poops, some, some view, wrong view is liberated. And then, whoops, we go down the stream. So this is the uh, this is what we're doing here. It's a training in perception. It's a training in cognition, a cognitive or perceptive training that we're doing. Because before I have the glasses of what I want, what I don't want, and this is how I evaluate everything. And here I'm invited to put these lens down and put the lens of impermanence and notice the dynamic nature of things in the body. That's why the Buddha suggests to pay attention to the breath. Why? Because coming, going. Why attention to the posture? Because it keeps changing. Why attention to sensations? Why attention to sense doors? What's that? The, The six senses. 
because we can notice by paying attention. If I'm in the story of me later on a timeline, this is all solid and permanent. It's me, I was there, I'm here, I, w- I will be there, will I be there? What do I, what's my worth? You know? And it's all kind of solid. I'm stuck in a world of concepts. I'm not in relationship with the reality of things that is dynamic, changing, appearing, disappearing, fugitive, fluctuating, uh, ephemeral. And so here we dive, it's micro, microscopic uh, relationship with life. We attend to phenomena like this. And so we clarify this about uh, impermanence. We, become, we train our mind to track it, to use our sense not to look for pleasure, but to notice how things are changing, anicca, Nietzsche, impermanent. Another aspect of the nature of phenomena that is revealed is is the fact that, uh, maybe we'll go through this, the fact that this is bad news. It sounds like bad news, but it's liberating. It can be liberating. It's eventually liberating. What we discover as we go is that because things are impermanent, arising and passing, they are dukkha. Dukkha. Meaning they don't have the the capacity to satisfy completely. Phenomena. Isn't that something important to understand? When we tend to project or perceive satisfaction in things, you know, no, I don't project satisfaction on this personality. But if I sit enough, then this personality will be satisfying. <laughs> you know, I'll work on it, invest a lot, prep that personality, <laughs> fix that personality. And I project that oh, other personalities, they're so satisfying. I wish I had that personality. You know, or that thing, or that situation. You know, when I have this, it'll be satisfying. And so it could keep running all our life, tense. Will I get it? Will I not get it? Through this practice, we can become aware that phenomena doesn't have the capacity to satisfy deeply. It's not in its nature. It can't do this because unstable, <coughs> unreliable. Things are unreliable. We cannot count on things. That's different translation of dukkha. And this is not something to believe. It would be a mistake to believe it. It's something to be checked. So has there been one thing here that happened up to now that was that did it, was completely satisfying? That there's n- no more problem? <laughs> I don't think so. Or in, no, not here. I can tell you, not here. But in the past, not either, because you wouldn't be here. <laughs> the fact that you're here proves that something was <laughs> nothing <laughs> completely did it. You know? Because it's not, in the, it's not made for this. It's not in the nature of things to be deeply, or not deeply, completely satisfying. Because things are impermanent and conditional, dependent. 
they're unreliable. Even uh, Joseph, uh, the, one of the founders here, Joseph Goldstein, maybe your teacher, our teacher, uh, came to Montreal a few weeks ago to help uh, with an organization there that I'm part of also. And uh, he was, uh, I can't re- I remember exactly the phrase, but he was translating dukkha by um, the, yeah, the inevitability of the unwanted. That's quite poignant, no? The inevitability of the unwanted. You can correct (laughs) me in your mind. But the message, I think, got through. (laughs) And you know, we can get really stressed and wanting to control and avoid and plan all the different scenarios. and, And then we might learn along the way that there's the inevitability of the unwanted. In the teaching, it talks about, uh, you know, aging, uh, disease, and death. These are certainties, unavoidable. They will happen. It's very sobering to consider. So because things are impermanent, it makes them uh, unstable. Therefore, they can't totally provide. And in there, there can be such a liberation to understand, you know, oh, I was mistaken, mistaken view. I was projecting on you or on this thing or you know that's how greed and desire works you know it projects satisfaction and then it's not easy because you know you don't have you want you don't have it sucks you use a lot of energy to get to try to get you might not get it sucks you don't get it sucks you get somebody might take it it sucks you get you don't know for how long it sucks <laughs> Will you be able to keep? It's not sure. You know, things are uncertain, even if it's going well. Even what is going well is uncertain. Will it remain? It's not sure. And so, this can be very disappointing. We could even hate this. I hate this reality that you're describing, where things are ephemeral and not satisfying. I hate it. Well, that's what we call the second arrow. Not only is it dissatisfying, I hate it on top. (laughs) So I just added a layer of suffering. Okay, so that's not an option. What else? Okay, I want another reality. (laughs) Second arrow also, because wanting another reality is just not going to happen. That's not the nature of this human realm. It doesn't work like this. So, okay, so you're telling me I cannot hate it. I'm going to suffer more. And if I want something else, I'm also going to suffer more. What's my options? What's my option here? Let's consider compassion, acceptance, equanimity, appreciation for what works while it works, for what is beautiful.
joy. These seem to be appropriate responses to the predicament that we're in, where things will vanish at some point or change. In a world where things are unstable, uncertain, unreliable. I was thinking of this uh, this morning with uh, your question. It came to my mind uh, when you asked um, the way I heard it. Maybe uh, now I might have transformed it. Th- things being dynamic. <laughs> I might uh, have done something out of what you said. But there was something about kind of a obsessive thinking, uh, etc., And to me, uh, one of the ways that I found along the way to work with this, it doesn't work for everything, but uh, it seems like I tapped into something uh, there that's been helpful for me is uh, sometimes when I've noticed that my mind is obsessing about something of the future, of the past, or the present. You know, a thing that I'll consider is, Pascal, is there... uh, Something that is uncertain, you know, that I don't know how it's going to turn out, you know. And sometimes there is, that leads me to think, 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 incessantly. And the kind of turning towards, like, maybe I'll do it through a question, like, could it be okay, Pascal, that this situation is uncertain, unclear, just now? Can, could it be okay just for now? And sometimes, like, Oh, okay. Kind of turning toward, towards uncertainty instead of trying to escape it by planning, by rehashing, by, you know. Or is there something that didn't go as I wanted? You know? Yeah. Oh, because I keep thinking about it. If I had said that, if they had said that, actually, it was uh, imperfect, defective. Huh? That bit of my reality went wrong. You know, that's dukkha. So, the sense of uh, lack of control, some, some kind of powerlessness, uncertainty, or even unresolved, something is unresolved, can create a lot of agitation in my system and a lot of thinking. And if I turn towards oh, something is unresolved, so defective in this way, dukkha, unsatisfying, you know, unwanted, something of the past or the present, or maybe of a future that I seem to foresee, you know. Ah, it's defective. Can I be with this? Intimate with the experience of uh, defectiveness, unresolved. I remember once I was sitting here in the hall and when uh, there was a monastic retreat and one of the monks Maybe Ajahn Amaro, I'm not sure. It said something like, uh, you know, at the moment of death, maybe not everything will be resolved. Will you be okay anyway? Or something like this, and it hit me like, a, it's like, oh my God, like I need to work on, on resolve, you know, to be okay with things not being resolved just yet or ever in some cases. And in this way, finding some peace. This is strange to me, that without a resolution, without making something certain, without having control, 
that I can find some peace, unconditional peace, even in a world that is defective, dukkha, where things are ephemeral, uncertain, unreliable, there can be peace, acceptance, balance of mind, equanimity, tenderness, compassion, joy. So these are not easy things to consider, but these are aspects of what we call the nature of reality. And here we come to see this, and we have a few more hours to help clarify this by paying close attention to the appearance and disappearance of, of events. That's why we want to practice here in this hall as we move from room to room uh, in the dining hall or at home as you're cooking your meal or whatever you're doing, just to notice uh, what is here in the heart, in the mind, to see how beauty appears and vanishes, how hearing appears and vanishes, our world is constructed and vanishes. Uh, There's another uh, aspect of what we call uh, the nature of reality, of the nature of the object. So it's not the object that is revealed, it's its nature. So one other kind of a... It's an open secret, I think it's called... It's presented like this, like, it's right there. It's not, it's not... It's only hidden by our lack of attention. Pay a little attention, and in time, it will things will reveal their nature. For us, we have superficial attention, plus we project on things what they're not. And so one other mistake that we make, we make the mistake of making things solid or thinking they're satisfying. Uh, And another mistake we make, check it out, very interesting, very profound, counterintuitive. We tend to... uh, identify or make mine what is not mine. My partner, bicycle, opinion, my thoughts, my memory, my... All this is worth questioning. And in the practice, I think it happens very gradually. Maybe we don't even notice a little bit like uh, the boat, the rope, the duck. And so, you know, we sit here and we think, this is my thoughts, I'm thinking, I keep thinking, I keep thinking, and at some point maybe we notice it thinks. I, 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 I want it to stop. I want, (laughs) I want no, (laughs) to have nothing to do with these thoughts. (laughs) You know, but these patterns happen by themselves. You know, these voices. Uh, you know, they these learned attitudes and messages. You know, keep uh, 
saying things. Like in the exercise this morning, it was so interesting. Like I'm doing the blank screen thing, Devon, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to catch the next thought. <laughs> so I'm like, I have full view, you know, I'm not going to miss it. And it comes from here. It's like, there's no thoughts right now. And I'm like, no, there's no thoughts right now. <laughs> I'm really attentive. I haven't seen any. <laughs> and so we might experience it like this, or it might be more at the physical level. Where we're sitting, it's me, me sitting, my body, my breath, me, 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 me. And then suddenly, it's just tingling. Tingling. It's natural, it's nature. Tingling. Suddenly it's not so much me. You know, my hand is just tingling. Or it's breathing. It's not so much me. It's like suddenly it even appears a little strange to say me, mine, when something very natural is happening. Or hearing is happening, you know. So very slowly we'll be able to remove some of that kind of uh, obsession, fascination, way of kind of identifying or possessing or that creates a lot of trouble. So that characteristic, that universal characteristic of human nature is is a little bit more uh, maybe triggering to hear or confusing to hear. But it can be so liberating, you know, that an emotion can arise and it's not made so personal. I'm also like this, I'm like that, I'm always like this, I'm so... Whatever, you know, it is. And suddenly to recognize, oh, there's fear here. This fear arises or is present. Or a cruel thought has crossed the mind. You know, if it's me, I'm so cruel. Oh my God, I hope nobody heard that thought. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it says something about me. It refers to a certain me, you know. And uh, in consciousness, in mindfulness... There's not that, it's very much more simple. A thought arises, I hope you pay for coming late to the sit. <laughs> and it doesn't have to define me. It can be recognized as such, you know, oh, the main thought just crossed the mind. Don't have to act on it, don't have to nourish it, don't have to identify, don't have to add another arrow here. Just simple recognition, oh. Not that be that helpful alone. <laughs> no, no need to nurture that one. You know, can be abandoned maybe. I remember going to. Um, oh, Mariolaine. What is that museum in the Netherlands that is in the forest and you bike to that museum? There's a lot of Van Gogh. Uh, voila so anyway I went to that museum one time Uh, it's in the forest it's a beautiful museum you wouldn't expect a museum like you're kind of biking and you trees it's a beautiful museum and in there there was um, 
there was uh, well there was many many things f- fabulous things but there was uh, one uh, installation from Louise Bourgeois and uh, so I'll describe the experience as I experienced it I don't know what she meant but I know what I saw <laughs> uh, and so it was like kind of back when I saw it first, it was a distance like this. It was a cage, cage. And as I came closer, I could see what I could see was uh, in the middle of the cage. There was a kind of a kind of typical, like kind of a, your image of a turd. You know, like the emoticon a bit, like a turd made of um, material, shmata, and uh, like this on legs, but human size. With legs, and that turd seemed to be looking at itself in a mirror, <laughs> and uh, the cage door was open. Uh, yeah, so I think that's the elements that. And I saw this, and I was in awe. I was in awe. I was like, the turd could walk out the cage, but it's fascinated by its own image. That's that's how I saw it. It was like I didn't have to think about what does it mean. You know, to me it was just it appeared like this. Like, wow, it could just walk out, but it's fascinated by its own image, you know. And then, as I was watching it, and suddenly I realized there is no cage. It's it's a production of an artist. Probably you can lift the thing even if the door was closed. You know, like it's uh, there's no cage. It's, it's, it's somebody created the... There's no turd. It's a creation of the mind, you know, that somebody went a little further and made it into, a, you know. And uh, I was like, wow, the whole thing is made up. The whole thing is an illusion. You know, it's a fabrication. It's a, it's a creation. Wow. Yet, this thing is stuck there, in a way. And I thought, this is so us. <laughs> you know, fascinated by, I'm worth nothing, I'm never going like, to mount to anything. And, and it's all like mind production. During that time, earth element, earth sitting on earth. Earth element, water element, wind, digestive fire, you know. Oh, no, it's more, it's more, it's not the elements. And the Buddha is like, the earth, inside, outside, same thing. The water in here, the water out there, same thing. The wind, the fire, inside, outside, same thing. Sometimes outside, outside, totally dry, no more water. Sometimes inside, same thing. Sometimes outside, the floods. Sometimes inside the floods. Sometimes no more movement in the air, outside. Same thing, sometimes inside. Sometimes storm, tempest, outside. Sometimes inside, same thing. But we kind of reify, is that the verb? This into an I, we adhere to this. And we come to retreat to solve that conundrum. And here we have the chance to 
maybe release through experience that oh, the mind produces thoughts. Emotions crosses the field. This one, or this one, or that one. Somebody who, uh, at the time of the Buddha, is, uh, is a very famous story. You might know it. Uh, supposed to, uh, supposed to be very, 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 very wise, very wise person. And uh, there's just a slight little uh, mistaken view. And this person, in all their goodwill, you know, and. Uh, they think they think they're awake. I mean, I would imagine at that level of wisdom, you could easily be mistaken. <laughs> if, if, you know, if there's so much compassion and joy available and stability of mind, and, and uh, you know, this person is of service to their community and they teach and they, they and they uh, so something very beautiful about this being. But someone notices that maybe the work is not completely done. So they say, hey, uh, Bahia, Bahia, you, you might not be completely done. But we hear of somebody who's maybe 700, uh, I don't know if it's miles or kilometers, I have to look in the sutta again. But to some distance, there's somebody who's supposed to be fully awake. We've been hearing about them for a while, you know. And Rohita, uh, not Rohitasa, but Bahia. Um, uh, it's like, oh, you think so? Let me go and meet this person because, you know, I need help here. So beautiful, huh? Like, how dare you? I'm awake. <laughs> no, it's not like, oh, you think? Wow, let me do something about this. And walks and walks for days, for days, uh, and reaches, uh, finds the Buddha the area, and then where did you hear? Yeah, apparently it's this way. No, that way. Oh no, he just passed by a few minutes ago. Anyway, reaches the Buddha and says, uh, please, please, like I'm exhausted and, and uh, I've come all this way and I can't believe I found you. Give me some teaching. Tell me something that I can work with, you know. And the Buddha says, ah, oh, Bahia, so happy you're here, so happy. Wrong timing. I eat one meal a day it's before the sun is, uh, you know, and the sun is like, mm. let me go get some food, and after we'll sit and we'll discuss. And Bahia is like, no, 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 I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Time is so precious. Things are so uncertain, so unreliable. Seems to be aware of a few things that we might not be as aware of, you know. Things are so uncertain, so unreliable. Please give me a little something just now, just now. And the Buddha, second time, the Buddha says, Bahia, we will get to this. Let me get my food, okay? And Bahia's like, ah, please, just a little, <laughs> a little snippet. And uh, the Buddha says, okay, Bahia, okay. Bahia. 
that's a pithy, it's named like this often, pithy, essential teaching. It says, Bahia, in the seeing, in seeing, let there be only seeing, in hearing, only hearing, in sensing, only sensing, in perceiving, only perceiving. Bahia, if there's no you here or there or in between, this, just this, is the end of suffering. And the Buddha goes. And uh, so that's the little teaching he gets, or the big teaching he gets. And the story goes, is it the legend? The story goes that a few minutes after, unfortunately, uh, Bahia is, uh, encounters a mad bull and is ran over or something like this, dies a few minutes after. And people are like, oh my God. I want to do my heart, but I was aware of the... <laughs> and people go, oh, he traveled so far. They were so dedicated, such a beautiful heart. And he died, and he didn't have time to actually sit and talk with you. And the Buddha said, no. I saw, when I said what I said, he got it. And so that's a teaching on anatta, not self, not mine, says in the hearing, just the hearing, in the sensing, just the sensing, in the perceiving, just the perceiving. If there's no I here or there or in between, this justice is release from suffering. good we have another 24 hours or so. We might need it to stabilize the mind and come very close to experience. To know the, in French we would say subterfuge. It's probably a word like this in English. Is it the same word? Subterfuge. Oh, wow. (laughs) I won't even try it. Uh, Sometimes the Buddha talks about this as um, maybe a magic show. The magic show, a moment of hearing, a moment of thinking, a sensation in the foot, and the magic show of self arises out of this. Very naturally, it arises. Uh, and also, there's a possibility to see through the magic trick, you know, which is called maybe freedom, equates to f- freedom. And here we can explore this. It, it's, uh, it's possible to clarify this to 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 explore this really it's uh, it's it's open okay time is up <laughs> impermanent so let's just take a moment to let uh, the words uh, dissolve
freedom from uh, disease, old age, and death. Being freed from disease, old age, and death. While there will be disease, old age, and death. I think requires a change of perspective. Requires that maybe it's taken a little less personal. May we find our way to deep, unconditional joy, tenderness, equilibrium, equanimity, and peace.